Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and I'm joined today by Leonard. Leonard, how's Hello. it going? Uh, it's good. It's a lovely Saturday. The birds are singing. Life is good. Oh, wait, no, no. It's gray and silent and um, overcast. Uh, that was a joke. <laughs> well, that was my yesterday. So today is a little bit, <laughs> a little, there's a little more verve and pep to the day. Um, no, as far as I can tell, because I'm in my basement recording studio. So <laughs> yeah, there's some sunlight oh, through the little windows that have bars on them. <laughs> you, you've shipped your bad weather over to me, I see. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't need it here any longer. You can have it. <laughs> have at it. Have some rain. And I, I should actually really clarify. Um, uh, muted weather, because that's what I always consider overcast days, because everything's washed out the moment you step outside. Yeah. Well, it's time. It's a time for... You know, some days call for muted weather. We'll take it. We'll take it today. Yep. And no no better day than 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 this recording day. Because what are we doing today, Dave? We're returning to the world of the Legativerse. I, I don't have a tune that's for right. that, but that's what it is. <laughs> that's right. More Thomas, more uplifting tales of wonder from Thomas Legati. Exactly what uh, what the the doctor prescribed. <laughs> So we'll, we'll take a crack at that. We are continuing on um, within Voices of the Damned. Yes, that is correct. Voices of the Damned, Two Tales, the Spectacles in the Drawer, and Flowers of the Abyss. Which, uh, yeah, they, they are a time. Things do happen in them. But first... We would be remiss if we did not resurrect the thing we were supposed to have been doing but forgot about, and that is horror in video games. A little small segment where we talk about a new or new game <laughs> that's that's popped up in, in recent history and uh, shed a little bit of light on it, or in this case, um, it's it's a fully... Like understood game. We didn't. We didn't pick something obscure. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Resident Evil Three, the the remake that's just come out. Yes, the remake, the remake. And I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about Resident Evil Six because that is entirely too topical. So I will briefly mention that as well. <laughs> uh, oh, you mean the Resident Evil game that everybody except for me hates? <laughs> uh I don't know. I I I'm playing it right now. Uh co-op through it and I'm enjoying the the heck out of it. Um, yep, it it's big and dumb and I really really like it, but a lot of people did not. Look, I need my explosions and my Leon with his uh Pantene Proby hair and his hair uh, so good. Uh, his, it? it is very good and he keeps his lips uh, moisturized. Yep. Leon continues to be a very, very pretty man throughout um, the horrors of 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 
bioweapons. Yep. He, he keeps his uh, his look on point uh, the entire time. It's, it's good stuff. Uh, and it also feature, uh, featurely, heavily features the sea virus in China. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a thing. Yep. It's, uh, yeah. But um, I've I finished the first campaign, um, Leon and Helena, and then begun uh, Piers and um, Chris. Chris ah, so you've started the uh, the Call of Evil segment of it, the game. Yes, exactly. Um, with the the craziest uh, Guavo. <laughs> jo- jo- no, Juavo, Juavo. Juavo. Yes. I keep wanting to call Guado, which is from Final Fantasy, but they are, they are <laughs> the Juavo. Um, those of the many eyes and many spidery limbed boys. Um, it's a, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I definitely, um, I'm playing this co op for the first time. I'm unlocking skills as I go along and don't have like the advanced necessary skills to take out a lot of the stuff, like with ease. Um, but, right. Uh, it's it's a time. It's fun. It's heavily action, like early '90s, late '80s, like action movie. Oh yeah, feeling, and I'm I'm enjoying that. I'm I'm not uh, all signs to the contrary. I'm not actually a super fan of spooky games. So this being not the case is making it much more enjoyable. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes, I can, I can see that from Resident Evil 6. Um, and you, but you know what Resident Evil is a a spooky, spooky, actually kind of spooky in places, Dave. Which one? It's that three make. Oh yeah. Yeah. So this one I I haven't played, but I watched the entirety of it, um, through a, a, a let's play live stream. Um. So at least I could vicariously uh, experience the the jump scares and some of the other like weird moments. There's some weird stuff going on with that one. So yeah. I, I've at least seen the entirety of the game and uh, had to, had plenty of time to enjoy uh, the adventures of uh, Jill and Carlos. Yes. Another another um, boy with some not good hair. Yep. Uh, yes, there's a lot of good with Carlos. Um, I also uh, I really enjoy Jill's characterization in this uh, ge- in this game. Uh, once again, going back to uh, late eighty uh, late eighties uh, early nineties action movie, uh, Jill feels like a protagonist from one of those movies tough lady cop that is just trying to get out of town really really like how um angry she is at the entire situation uh, appropriately so <laughs> it's all justifiable but she's she's brooking uh she's not taking shit from anybody um nope including carlos so it's it's really good to see and it's nice to have uh a stronger uh, agency filled um, female protagonist. My only qualm would be she looks like 
Um, she looks like she'd have trouble getting through a wet paper bag. Like they they made her very too slender for the things oh, okay. that she does. So she should she 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 could benefit from being like a little bulkier. I like I like to imagine I like to imagine that uh oh wait, no, it's canonical that nobody who survived the original mansion incident got bitten. I think so. Maybe they get bitten a lot here though. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean every, I mean, every couple seconds big bite in the neck. Like okay, yeah, yeah, uh, because because it's shadowy and spooky, and lighting's pretty good in this game. Um, there's a level of polish that this game lacks over uh, Resident Evil Two. That's kind of apparent in some places, but I don't think really detracted all that much from it. Um, I I like that this was kind of a uh, truncated. Uh, game and and not as lengthy as RE2 or the even the original Resident Evil 3 um uh for for those of you listening that d- don't know uh Resident Evil 3 was originally not supposed to be the next mainline Resident Evil game Resident Evil Code Veronica was actually supposed to be Resident Evil 3 however uh Sony uh, being the big boys that they were, didn't want that upstart uh, Dreamcast getting the next mainland franchise and convince Capcom to turn uh, what was titled, I believe, Resident Evil uh, Desperate Escape or Last Escape uh, and retitle it as Resident Evil 3. And then Resident Evil 3, then subtitled code veronica so the fact that the remake of resident evil 3 it feels more like a spin-off game than the original kind of makes sense to me and and because of the game's pacing it also does actually feel like jill is desperately trying to get out of town yeah it's it's much shorter um about about six hours maybe a little less about that. Uh, and I do like that it takes the time. I think it includes um, some enemies that were r- released originally in the, as DLC. Um, the un- Ghost, Ghost Survivor, I think, pack from Resident Evil 2 uh, re- remaster or remake uh, introduced the... Um, Paleheads? Paleheads, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, Which, and so the the zombies themselves, the designs, I really enjoy this, and I I like that they um. It's a point of frustration, of course, but they move a little bit more unpredictably. There's a lot of bob and sway in their head movements, so you can't really get clean headshots a lot, or they just absorb a lot of bullets. Uh, yep, more than they probably should, because the 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 ammunition is a. Uh, it's a commodity and it's a scarce one. Um, but this, because I think it's a little bit more action oriented, they're still providing you with you know quite a bit of ammunition. Yes. It's really, um, I think, only a dearth um, when it's uh, like the Magnum rounds or some of the 
grenade launcher rounds. Those things are because they're sort of boss weapons. Uh, that's in shorter supply. Um, although things can be resupplied uh, during like the boss battles, which is nice. Yes. Um, especially with the magnum rounds, like unless you, if uh, unless is like your second run through the game, you probably maybe going to craft like one batch of uh, magnum ammo and then find the rest of it throughout the game. And that's basically it. Because ammo crafting's back, which originated from the original, then got slotted into the two remake and then found its way back home in the three make. Yeah. Um... Nemesis, they did a really good job um, with his different forms, uh, making them very visually distinct, yet still you can see like the core of, of what he is until it becomes a parasite form fully um, yep. toward the end of the game. Uh, he's sufficiently... Uh, I think he's less scary than Mr. X. Oh yeah, significantly. But it's still a large threat. It's more, it's slightly more comical, I guess, because there's, there's entire segments where you're just trading rocket launcher rounds at really close range, potentially, uh, to mm-hmm. where this, the splash damage is like horribly, uh, sh- shrunk down. Like, you shouldn't, oh, yeah. you shouldn't be able to be like five meters from someone and there's an explosion and you're just like, oh, I'm just going to roll over here and do a perfect dodge. So that, those parts are, are fun in their own way, but they definitely just cut down on the tension a lot. This was a very specific, specially made uh, Umbrella Corporation rocket launcher, uh, as as we all know from from the deployment case that he managed to grab from it, uh, grab it from. Uh, so yes, the, the, these are special Umbrella rockets that have tiny splash damage uh, uh, radiuses. <laughs> Yeah. Um here's so here's the thing that I really, really love about Nemesis and its uh all design and aesthetics, uh, which is uh it clearly wasn't finished and they got the order to deploy it, and so they just wrapped it up in whatever they could, and there's an aspect of it where it's like oh yeah that kind of makes sense because you know you manufacture bioweapons that you're trying to sell to people and this thing kind of looks like crap so we're just gonna like wrap it up best we can and still try to sell people on buying it because it's like hey see look it murdered the stars character don't 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 pay any attention to the fact that we put a trash bag over its face it does the job everything's cool marketing 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 bioweapons that's my favorite thing about the new nemesis design is like yep this thing is like an unfinished like kind of piece of crap but we gotta get it to work and we gotta make it look good for potential buyers yeah and i think a lot of the wrapping on it is uh it's it's parts of the shrink wrap that are transported in yeah so they're they're vacuum sealed in huge like black um bags and that's what he's wearing like the remnants of his transport uh, uh bag yep 
If you uh, don't 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 put a bioweapon in a blister pack, people, you get a <laughs> bad outfit and it's almost impossible to get out. Yeah. Uh, and then let's see the um, the hunter betas. I think it's the betas. Are those the fish boys? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. Uh, hunter gammas. Hunter gammas. OK, so those ones are great because they are large. Kirby fish boys with chicken wings. Yeah, I, I I like to imagine that this is what a uh, realistic Pac-Man in real life looked like. And they they also appeared to really really liked watching um the first season of Stranger Things because they, they <laughs> yeah changed the mouth up to to resemble um the monster from Stranger Things the, the Demogorgon. Demogorgon. Yep, Ma. Yes. Um yeah, it's good. It is it is it is really good and um I I also really love that they were just like, "Hey, you know what? You want to turn this game into a ridiculous shooting gallery like almost every like Resident Evil after Resident Evil 4 became because we just give you your inventory from from the jump again. You care. Here, trade in these points and do dumb stuff with the game cuz yeah, already because it's not it can only be scary once so now we're just gonna let you make it fun yeah it's it's a good move uh that i think that will that will wrap us up for our little segment here and we'll, we'll yes amble forward into into the light the light of dusk yes and return to the Legativerse with spectacles in the spectacles in the drawer because we've got a we've got a good boy here, um, Mr. Plum. <laughs> Who doesn't love that name? I I I'll, I love love I love that these names like a lot of the times the names don't actually have to be like real people's names. They're just yeah, it's like right. words. <laughs> they're words, but they're they're close enough to something else that makes it sound like it's a feasible it doesn't sound like it's gibberish yeah exactly um so dave um what's so special about these uh drawer spectacles well they let you see the things beyond beyond space and time into other dimensions all the 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 variety of things you may wish to know. Uh, and they're, they are, um, they're a placebo. <laughs> they're not even real. Well, they're real, they're real <laughs> spectacles, but they're just, uh, they're just from like a flea, a flea shop, flea market. Uh, but, but, but how's that possible, Dave? These, these are magical spectacles. Why would, why would anybody claim such a thing if they're not true that's because our good our good boy plum he's uh he's a curiouser and curiouser fellow he wants to know all the secrets of the the universe but he's not in a position um i think economically to do so it's not a viable thing for him uh he he prefers that our our unnamed 
narrator do the searching for him and then he just reaped the rewards so he's kind of a he's a a, a nosy fellow um he loves to be regaled with tales from other lands but can't actually go do any of the exploring himself he just wants to reap the rewards um while not putting himself at risk uh, at least initially um and our 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 narrator is something at odds with his friend so they're they're may have at one time been good friends but now he basically <laughs> just resents plum for everything he stands for and he's just grown tired of the man's antics and questions and um they're like armchair philosophy feeling interest mm-hmm. so it's it's um here we go i, I pulled a, as i do i like to do a little quote here this is plums visiting our, our our narrator it was not by any means a spacious room and its enclosed atmosphere was thickened as Plom would have emphasized, by its claustrophobic arrangement of tall cabinets, ceiling-high shelves, and various trunks and crates, this is simply how matters worked out over a period of time. In any case, Plom seemed to favor this state of affairs. Ah, the room of secret mystery, he said, the chamber where all your hermetical prodigies are cached away. Uh, so, our narrator has a, it's basically an attic room. It's like a, a room that he stores things from his. He does travel looking for a mystical what's it. Um, he goes to exotic locales and to, to little out of the way corner stores, places you'd find these curious um, items and artifacts. And he's um, he's made his own museum of sorts um, over time. And this is where Plum loves to come and sit on a couch and have. Uh, our narrator like explain to him what what latest and greatest thing treasures he's found and so after a while after some years of this uh, our narrator's just he's kind of done he's done with it and he's tired of um palms like inane babble and <laughs> he's tired of having to like he ends up just sort of making up stuff right and he's like i'll just I'll wow him with these wonders, but really it's just junk I picked up at the corner store. Like there's and, nothing and special he, and, about this. And and our narrator also says that he's going to over basically overload uh, Plum with so much stuff that he will lose his taste for for this line of interest and hopefully leave him alone. <laughs> Yeah, he's basically just trying to make the um the fantastical and phantasmagorical feel mundane. Yes. Like there's just there there's it's so special that there's really nothing special about it because there's so much of it. Yep. And that's when, that's his tactic. Um when, when, when everything's special, nothing is. Oh yes. Oh yes. And he um he, he gives him a uh like a little show instead. <clears throat> so he 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 puts on a a mystical robe. And this is how he'll be able to handle 
Um, he needs this protection of this robe to kind of be able to handle the next step. So Plum is uh, encased in a robe, given a book. And this is the, the lost grimoire of the Abbot of Tyne. <laughs> but that, that's, that's what Plum, so Plum will make stuff up. Right. He, he, he gets a notion in his head and he comes up with like weird things and ascribes properties to stuff uh, in advance of being told what it is. Right. And he, the, the thing he's guessing, he's guessing at the, um, this book. And he says, Oh, it's the, it's the habit of Tyne's book. He's like, Oh, then it must be the forbidden Psalms of the silent, which that is a real thing that we, we have discussed previously. <laughs> um, so that, that's nice that it's kind of being brought up again here. Yep. And then instead, or I guess what it, um, what it happens to be, uh, this is, this is a sacred writ. Uh, and it's, um, I guess I just pulled this part too. Uh, the secrets of such a book are not perpetual once they are known. And this is the whole point of like what he's trying to, um, put upon Plum. Uh, the secrets of such a book are not perpetual. Once they are known, they become relegated to a lesser sphere, which is that of the knower. Having lost the prestige they once enjoyed, these former secrets now function as tools in the excavation of still deeper ones, which, in turn, will suffer the same corrosive fate. And this is the fate of all the secrets of the universe. Eventually, the seeker of a recondite knowledge may conclude, either through insight or sheer exhaustion, that this ruthless process is never-ending, that the mortification of one mystery after another has no terminus beyond that of the seeker's own extinction. And how many still remain susceptible to the search? How many pursue it to the end of their days with undying hope of some ultimate revelation? Better not to think in precise terms just how few the faithful are. More to the present point, it seems that Plum belonged to their infinitesimal number, and it was my intention to reduce that number by one. So he's basically saying that you're after like the, the secrets of the universe or whatever it is, and each time you find a tool that will let that will uncover some secrets, but those secrets just lead to needing to under uncover more secrets ad infinitum. Like, you'll never find the answer because everything is just a tool to get you a step closer um, and a step closer, but really you're you're taking, like, half steps. That seems, that feels, that, that feels so weirdly, like, cynical to, to me. Like, oh, hey, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, mm, you're just going to run into another secret if you keep looking for secrets. Like, why are you even trying? Yeah, I don't. I you're dumb. <laughs> that's, that's, that's well. He's a cynical man. He's a cynical man. Yes. He's been he's been doing this, and he's that's what he reached was like. I keep digging, but it only like lets me dig another s scoop. You know, further. Oh yeah, I guess that yeah, that, I guess that makes sense, and I guess that he really resents Plom's like unending. Enthusiasm. Like fascination, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and fascination with this because he's he's long ago lost the taste of it and has to continually entertain Plum and his like half-hearted 
Um, yeah, because because Plum isn't willing right. to actually do any of the work. Right. Okay. He, he that, loves that. the spectacle, and <laughs> that's just made it to where our our, our narrators he's tired of his own hobby. Yeah. But he can't he let it go want, because he can't let it go because he got a dude bugging him about it every every <laughs> ten seconds. Exactly. So you can understand kind of where both both of them are coming from. Yeah. Um Yeah, and that's the same so again he just he's, he just lays it out. The plan was simple to feed Plum's hunger for mysterious sensations to the point of nausea and beyond. The only thing to survive would be a gut full of shame and regret for a defunct passion, which is kind of what he has. He's just put, basically he's trying to do the same thing to Plum that he did to himself uh because it's serving a specific purpose in this case, um which is to get Plum to stop bothering him. Right. But that seems like it's doomed to failure because Plom never has to put in any of the work that caused him to lose the, his taste for it. Our narr- narrator to lose the taste for the work himself. So he just get Plom just gets results. Plom get results. Yeah. Um. So he he pulls out a a pair of spectacles. And these are something that will enable you to envision the truth uh, of everything and and the worlds upon worlds behind like the veil of this dimension. It it there's it goes on. I'm not gonna actually read that part because it it's like a two page description of what exactly these spectacles will do. It's just not really important. Um, however. Uh, they require a catalyst to work, and um, he takes a small, uh, like little pen knife, and makes a little incision on um, Plum's hand. And he's like, "Just look at, look at that with the spectacles. Um, you you need a catalyst to activate them, and it's your own blood. You can see the extent of the universe is contained within like your own, like it's it's within everything, but it's highly visible within your own within your own blood." Did Thomas Ligotti predict Bloodborne? <laughs> well, he definitely he's doing something here. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, yeah, I, I didn't highlight this, but it's I guess still important. Um, the the next instant it seems will bring with it the revo- a revolution of the total substance of things. As the seconds keep passing, the experience grows more fascinating without fulfilling its importance, without extingu- extinguishing itself in revelation. And although the visions remain active inside you, deep in your blood, you now awake. So he so what he basically did was he hypnotized Plum. He made him susceptible yes. to these succession to these suggestions. That's his one the the things he were using the the book. The, the knife, the glasses, they are all, like, normal, everyday. They're not cursed things. They're not artifacts. They're just stuff you picked up at the store. Right. Um, but through the power of hypnotic suggestion, he made Plum buy into this particular... I mean, he does have strange curiosities, but these particular things are, are in... in, in, they're, in um, they're not active things. Um, however, the, the hypnotic suggestion, um, was enough to get Plum to 
to believe otherwise. And he, it, it's this experience um, struck him so that he like needed to leave. Yes. In fact, in fact, it specifically says Plum appeared to be dazzled in the worst way. Uh, behind <laughs> the spectacles, his eyes gazed dumbly while his mouth gaped with countless unspoken words because he saw the truth of everything, or at least a, a portion of it. Right. But uh, and and I I like that even though it's framed as the truth of everything, that that there are no answers, so it is just essentially just information it sounds like information that you can't process which sounds yeah. like a nightmare <laughs> so <laughs> like the truth of everything without being able to parse it uh sounds like a, a, a hellish existence that i that, that sounds like a punishment for for a universal crime it, it is and he again um so he says here, I, I carried the box containing both spectacles and knife over to Plum, holding it just beyond his reach. I said, can you imagine the dangers involved, the possible nightmare of possessing such artificial eyes? And, and you can imagine the restraint the possessor of such a gruesome contrivance must practice. Nothing more, nothing would please me more than to pass the ownership of this miraculous artifact onto you, my dear Plum. I'm sure you will hold it in wonder as no one else could. So he basically gives him the knife and the spectacles. And he's like, yes. uh, you must practice. You've seen what lies beyond. Um, it's in your hands now. You should basically just like leave it alone. You, 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 the thing you've seen should sate you. <laughs> but I'm just going to give you the tools anyway, just in case you're like curious again, because. Yeah, because I I actually secretly don't like you, <laughs> and it's so it's a weird. I mean, I understand the move he does here, but uh, and the benefit of hindsight from reading the rest of the story, no, it's a bad thing. But um, yeah, it's a little like you think he could have just won and done. He did. He hypnotized the, his buddy, gave him a bit of a spook, and then he should have just like kept the you know spectacle and the knife. Like I didn't get right. why he gave it to him. That did, that didn't seem that seemed counterproductive. Uh, but uh, well, we find out exactly what happens with that. <laughs> Is it good, Dave? Does good things happen? Does Plum wind up handsome and rich? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it ends up um, it's Lagati. This ends well for at least one person. <laughs> and by that nobody it ends well for nobody yep um yes this describes their uh the the encounter that that sparks off the story but but the narrator soon runs into plum out in the in the world right isn't isn't he uh yeah you see well, he runs like into a junk him. dealer he runs into him at um, a bookstore, I believe. There we go. Uh, and a curio shop. And each, I think it's twice. And each time Plum just, like, ignores, he, like, sees him and takes off. Like, he doesn't want to associate with the narrator. Mm -hmm. um, and something seems, like, off about him. He, he looks haggard and kind of worn. 
and, and there's shock and shame upon his face, apparently. <laughs> yeah, he... And this is um, interesting because he, he doesn't ultimately bear ill will toward Plum. Yeah. He, he just wanted him to stop bugging him for like a little right. while. And, you know, he he states that here is... Um, I cautiously approached the front window of the shop in time to see Plum hurrying off in the dull, unreflecting day, his right hand held up to his face. It was only my intention to cure him, I mumbled to myself. I had not considered that he was incurable, nor that things would have developed in the way they did. <laughs> yes, and... I mean, I guess technically, uh, after that day, I wondered, eventually, to the point of obsession, what kind of hell had claimed poor Plum for its own? I own, I knew only that I had provided him with a type of toy, the subliminal ability to feast his eyes on an imaginary universe in a droplet of his own blood. The possibility that he would desire to magnify this experience, or indeed that he would be capable of such a feat, had not seriously occurred to me. Yeah. Oops. It never, yeah. never, never thought that this could turn out bad in any way. It was just, it was just a goof, man. Just a harmless goof. Yep. Ha ha. Agency, the biggest joke. Ho ho. Yes. And then he begins to, he begins to have dreams where he meets with Plum. And he's also sort of forced to wear the spectacles that he had, um, he had given away. And it's, it's showing things to him and and he he feels like if he took them off he would he would be kind of free of the situation right then he was he's being shown horrible things that he it's not um they're not pleasant clear Yes, and he, and he um, uh, well, he eventually, in his dream, um, finds himself uh, confronted with a mutilated carcass. Um, yes, that was actually the quote that I was mm -hmm. just, uh, I was just, uh, yes, just looking for. To do this. Gradually, I came to view what appeared to be a mutilated carcass. Something of a terrible rawness. A torn and flayed thing whose every laceration could be seen with microscopic precision. See, so, uh, yeah, wait, hey, infinite clarity. Like, this is, this is, this is what you wanted. This is what you wanted Plum to see. This is the thing that made him dizzy after his immediate experience. Like, is, is everything. It, be, because that continues on slightly for like one more sentence or two, two more. The only thing of color in my grayest surroundings, it twitched and quivered like a gory heart exposed beneath the body of a dream. And it made a sound like hellish giggling. Then it said, I'm back from my trip, as if mocking me. It was this simple <laughs> statement that inspired my efforts to tear the spectacles from my face, even though they now seem to be part of my flesh. So... This thing, this quivering, jelly, diced-up body is is Plum. Oh, right. That's right. Oh, yes. yeah. Yes. Hey, um, uh, 
I'm sure you've seen uh, Master of Illusion. The, of course. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, it, and listeners, if you've you've seen Master of Illusion, you probably have an idea of of what I'm hinting hinting at by referencing it. We should probably cover that. We should probably cover I think that. We'll we'll double bill that with in the mouth of madness. Okay, that works. It'll probably yeah. That's a yeah. That's a that, yeah. That works as a double feature. I sometimes know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've pulled um, one, two more quotes. This is in the same the same segment. So this is important because this is um uh, it's basically uh the narrator discussing um the 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 meanings behind like what he's doing um since any form of existence i muttered since any form of existence is by definition a conflict of forces or it is nothing at all what can it possibly matter if these skirmishes take place in a world of marvels or one of mud the difference between the two is not worth mentioning or none such distinctions are the work of only the crudest and most limited perspectives, the sense of mystery and wonder foremost among them. Even the most esoteric ecstasy, when it comes down to it, requires the prop of vulgar pain in order to stand up as an ex experience. Having acknowledged the truth, however provisional, provisional it is the reality if uh, and the reality, if subject to mutation of all that is most strange in the universe, whether known or unknown or merely suspected, one must conclude that such marvels change nothing in our existence. The gallery of human sensations that existed in prehistory is identical to the one that each faces um that one the one that faces each each day of life today uh, that will continue to face each new life as it enters this world and then looks beyond it so he's debating to himself that even if he sees these crazy visions uh they ultimately are reduced to nothing they don't mean anything because without um context uh, they can't be placed right but they're awful <laughs> but they're like awful He's basically like, just trying to convince himself that it's not so bad. Yeah, when he looks at it. Yeah, that, that's all exactly. That it is. Yeah, it's just a dream. It's just a dream. That's that's his his return I to mean, sanity. I mean, I mean, you can try to convince yourself that that there's no context to him, but if they inspire horror every single time you you experience them, that's all the context. That's the that's the most basic context that you need when the reptile part of your brain is telling you bad the minute you experience something. That's a pretty good bit of context right there. It's it's the um it's the denial of the fantastical um through uh like an academic lens or through science or you know it's it's that old argument of this can't be real because uh it's not real like it's not a feasible thing that can occur so obviously it's it doesn't mean anything Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, all this brings up is a, a large concern for the fate of Plum. So he, uh, 
our narrator goes to Plum's house because he took all this time and didn't actually do that thing because although he had concern for his friend, he also didn't want to deal with him because <laughs> it was out, as out of sight, out of mind, basically. And, uh, yeah, so this part, um, I didn't quote, but probably should have. Uh, he basically gets to the landlord and is let in to Plum's um, little apartment or in the house to a specific room because there's a small storage room. Uh, this is just, he's just narrating the, 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 the trek there. And this is the landlord. Um, he reached along the wall inside the room as if he wanted to avoid entering it and switched on the light. Immediately I understood why the hollow-faced man preferred not to go into that room, for a plum had renovated this space in a very strange way. Each wall, as well as the ceiling and floor, was a mosaic of mirrors, a shocking galaxy of redundant reflections, and each mirror was splattered across its surface, as if someone had swung brushfuls of paint from various points throughout the room, spreading dark stars across the silvery filament. In his attempt to exhaust or exaggerate the visions which he had apparently become enslaved, Plum had done nothing less than multiply these visions into infinity, creating oceans of his own blood and enabling himself to see with countless eyes. Entranced by such aspiration, I, I gazed at the mirrors in speechless wonder. Among them was that tilting mirror I remembered looking into not so long ago when he, he saw it at the, the little shop. The landlord, who did not follow me into the room, saw, said something about suicide and a body ripped raw. This news was, of course, unnecessary, as I stood overwhelmed at Plum's ingenuity. It was some time before I could look away from that gallery of glass and gore. Only afterward did I fully realize that I would never be rid of the horrible Plum. He had broken, into, he had broken through all the mirrors, projecting himself into the eternity beyond them. And even when I abandoned my home with its hideous attic storeroom, Plum still followed me in my dreams. It, it continues on. Um, and it ends with the, the most delightful sentence. Oh, Plum, will you not stay in that box where they have put your self-riven body? <laughs> it's, it's really good. It's very Hellraiser. Yep. That's, yep, that's exactly what, what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a bad that's a that's a proper bad end for for that character. And also once again, um very very Lord Evolution. Yes. Yes, um I I enjoyed the story. It's not as it's it's these are both of these are actually quite shorter than even the, the our previous uh, Miraka, wonderful clown, uh, town of clowns. Yes, but they're yes, no um, less like poignant. They still have a really, they're short to the point and kind of shocking. Yes. Uh, as as stories for those who are damned should be. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will let you take over Flowers of the Abyss. All right. Oh. We're talking about the Van Liven family. Right, Dave? Yes. 
and and a horrible, horrible tragedy that that has befallen them. But there's there's talk about a a uh, garden. Um, I think of hey. of the stories, this might be my favorite narrator. Uh, and why is that, Dave? Why is this your favorite narrator? Because it's so it's a, a reliable narrator with some unreliable points uh, because the, the 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 hand is kind of kept close uh, and played at the very end of kind of what what they are and what they're doing. This this town. Uh, it's not a regular little small town, of course, as none of these are regular little small towns, but they feel just enough like one to be identifiable. Uh, and there's, I guess, a secret society or something that's within the town. It's, it's, it is not explained, but, um, our narrator isn't just a run of the mill uh, academic this time. And also not crazy, which is. And not a, crazy. It's, it's a nice change of pace. A really, really nice change of pace. However, they do make a couple choices that are a little questionable, but that's just par for the course. So we'll um, see kind of how that wraps, how that works out for them. Um, there's been problems uh, at this house. It's been abandoned. Um, but there's a squatter in there, and it's the squatter is bothering the townsfolk, particularly I think they're worried about their children. Uh, and so a member of the town, um, of their uh, just the general community, but also of a, um, it feels like there may be a uh, cabinet's not the right word. Um, it's the thing where there's just a bunch of town people on a committee. Yes, like a committee member. Uh, and yes. they they volunteer to go basically check on this squatter and then check out the house and make sure everything's kind of kosher. And if they need to, like, chase the person out um, of the town, uh, this is the time to do it. <laughs> right. But yeah, so the, the narrators actually, I was remiss in this, is a, is a school teacher. Um, within the town. Yes. Um, and, and, that's, and, and that's part of the plan, I think, is because they are a teacher of children and the, the vagrant has no children. Uh, it won't be weird if they go check on them. I don't know why that is the plan, but <laughs> that's what they decided the plan was, is to have the teacher go check and it wouldn't be odd if they're wandering around in the forest um, and happen to to take a uh, pl place a house call, um, checking up um, on the house. Yes, and it's it's particularly it's the fact that 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 the house has this associated history and that the vagrant's not doing anything and has 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 done nothing with this property, which has been shunned by the town. I just think I find it bizarre that there have been no like, law official, uh, law 
authorities called forward to like, hey, you don't own this property. Can you like vacate? I, 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 it's it's it, the shunned house aspect of it, uh, where it is so shunned that not even the law will enact the law uh, under it is is a weird uh, tact to take for me. Yeah, and there's, um, I think there's a little, we, we're saying like vagrant and person just like squatting. I don't think that's the case. So there's a little bit of dialogue that implies that this person did in fact purchase the house or is, in, or is the current owner of the Van Living house. Because the, the school teacher takes the time to say, what better excuse for my imposing upon the present owner of this house? Because they basically were wandering in the woods and said, oh, I need some water. Can you offer me some water to drink? Because I'm parched. Was the excuse to go check out the house. Yeah. Well, yes. The, 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 yes. Once again, not a vagrant, just a weird, just the, the new weirdo that lived into the house, in the house, moved into the house that everyone should, should know better than to move into. Um, is like, hey, I've seen you walking in the woods, which once again indicates that the teacher and the township weren't particularly subtle about this this weird stakeout that they were doing. Yeah, <laughs> on this person, uh, um, and and you know, uh, seeing as though I'm so far away from town, clearly you must be part. So here, have some water. Let me let me be a host. Like it's so uh, what what this reminds me of, and I'd have to look at the the date on this because I think it's probably came before um, uh, burbs. <laughs> but this is clearly like that, right? Like it's the concerned good neighbors making a house call, thinking like there's been there's been cats, there's been stuff going missing, weird things happening in the neighborhood. And there's only one new family, so if everything else is the same, they're the one thing that's different now and must be checked on. Yes, but then the, uh, uh, uh yeah, and, and, yeah, usually the new family with the, is the one that's causing the weird stuff that suddenly just starts popping up, um, uh, and, and he, the, the new owner uh brings out another item and it is a it's a music box right dave that's yes. what i got mm. from it there's a music box and, and slightly before that uh we're treated to um an aspect of of the narrator that makes them maybe particularly suited toward to to this uh, reconnaissance um the, the the host has gone away to, to go get i think some water or something and so this part, uh, in the absence of my host, I directed my eyes to the treasures of this, of his house and made them my own. But there was something I had not yet seen. Somehow I felt this. Then again, I was sent to spy. And so everything around me appeared suspicious. Can you see now what, what I failed to see then? Can you see it coming into focus through my eyes? Can you peek into those cobwebbed corners or scan the titles of those tilting books? Yes. But can you now, in the maddest dream of your lives, peer into places that have no corners and bear no names? This is what I tried to do, to see beyond the ghoulish remnants of the Van Livens, to see beyond the haunted stage upon which I made my entrance. 
and so I had to turn corners inside out with my eyes and to read the third side of a book's page, seeking in futility to gaze at what I could then touch with none of my senses. So there's, um, there's like a memory and a dream communication going on, which it doesn't get explained, but it does get elaborated on, um, as the, as the tale progresses to where our, our narrator is like feeding telepathic images to the other members of their little council. Yes. Which is really, it's a nice little touch. Um, yes, because, uh, once again, we, the, the, the narrator is kind of the horrific entity at the, at, at this point in the story. Because they're just spying on this guy that's trying to live his life, um, but also feeding information to like this cabal of other people. Yes, it's it's all very good because there's a lot of it's like a um, uh, it's not really a it's not a catch twenty two. It's just basically they're both doing their own thing here. Um, and they're like no one's being nefarious, but you could be read that way, right? Like you, you basically have no way to go. There's no one's. There's no clear like black and white or good and bad. They're actually probably both kind of bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, and this is where the the small music box um comes into play. Uh, let's see. Ah. In the meantime, the blank-faced man had placed something else upon the table. It was a small music box made of some dark wood, which looked as if it had the hardness of a jewel that was floored with strange designs that were at once distinct and impossible to focalize. I found this while rummaging about this place, the stranger said. Then slowly he drew back the cover. Um, slowly drew back the cover of the box and sat back in his chair. I held both hands around the cold glass and listened to the still colder music. And then they uh, they are taken on a on a something of a vision quest where they feel themselves descending down into the dark corners of the world. And yes, so there was beauty in this vision, however tinged it was with the sinister. Even at that point, I felt I could lose myself in the vastness spreading about me, a tenebrous expanse rich with unknown exploits. But then something began stirring. Erupting like a disease, poking its horribly colored head through the cool blackness and chasing me back to my body. So what did you think? It was getting bad toward the end, wasn't it? I closed the box before it got worse. Would you say I was correct in my action? And that's the the words of the um, host. Yes. And Um, then again, I could see it in your face. My purpose wasn't to harm you. I just wanted to show you something to give you a glimpse. And this this glimpse is the the wonderfully uh, apt the the madness of things. Yes, which I feel I 
could swear has come up in in previous stories. Like that um, phrase specifically. I believe it popped up in uh, Conspiracy Against the Human Race. There we go. Okay. They are. They. <laughs> it's definitely Legati, like a part and part, as, as all of this always is. Um, it's repeating themes um, that he builds into his own philosophy. And again, the madness of things, I reiterated, trying to draw more from him. I'm afraid I don't understand. And this is the, the host. Nor do I. But is that, that is all I can say about it. There are, those are the only words I can use, the only ones that apply. Once I delighted in them. As a young student in philosophy, I used to say to myself, I'm going to learn the madness of things. This was something I felt I needed to know, that I needed to confront. If I could face the madness of things, I thought, then I would have nothing more to fear. I could live in the universe without feeling I was coming apart, without feeling I would explode with the madness of things that, to my mind, formed the very foundation of existence. I wanted to tear off the veil and see things as they are, not to blind myself to them. Yes. And then the, then the, uh, the narrator asks if if the man succeeded and he has a really great quote that uh that um if you've been listening to uh the Dave and Leonard only episodes uh and have listened to our coverage of Melvina's therapy uh helped recall a lot of that for me succeeded said the stranger bringing me back to myself Oh, yes. Only too well, I would say. I succeeded in tearing myself loose from all the fe- of all my fears, and even from the world itself. Now I am a vagabond of the universe, a drifter among spaces where the madness of things has no limits. Which is great. Very, very good line. There's yes, and it um everything is so much chaos in my existence. Somehow though, I always come back to this world as if I were some creature that returns on occasion to its home ground. These places at which I arrive seem to seem to draw me to them, as if they had been prepared, even invaded before me. For there are always things, little items, that are just what I would expect. That music box, for instance. I looked around till I found something of that sort. By its designs, I could see it had been touched by the madness of things, and so could you, I noticed. What havoc it must have caused for those unready for such phenomena. What happened in this house? I can only wonder. And so the tragedy of the Van Livens was illuminated. Which of them had come across the music box, where it must have lain hidden for who knows how long? Over time, they must have all become its victims. The condition of the house and its grounds, that was the first sign. So eventually, um, there was five bodies that the town found, and some of them had been dead longer than others. Um, none of them were whole, and all of them had been savaged beyond what was human. <laughs> yeah. And the conclusion that the town came to, uh, they wanted to assume that it was um, a, a, a vagrant or someone that had not been from the town, but uh, their conclusion was that um, the Van Livens had done it to themselves. Yes. That they had, they had, they had, yes, they had murdered themselves, 
brutalize themselves out of uh out of existence as as you do um and with the implication that the music the music from the music box uh spawned this because the the music box had had been touched by the the madness of things or the crazy of the universe. I think the madness of things works better than the crazy of the universe. Yes. Uh, and then uh, the stranger uh, sh- uh, brings our narrator over uh, to the window and uh, asks if he can see them. Uh, and what he sees is the Van Leven's old garden, uh, but uh, not filled with flowers, but things that remind the narrator of the designs on the music box, um, which I think is is really great. That's a uh, that's a really good classic Lovecraft vibe of some outside element corrupting the grounds. Uh, the the actual space where people live and exist, um, just through its own influence. Yes, and these things are something that the traveler carried with him on his on his journeys. Um, he didn't realize they were just kind of like tagging along. And when he arrived here at the back in this dimension, um, they 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 hopped ship and um, buried themselves into the soil and, and became this new form these flowers in the darkness yes and 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 that's bad right why <sighs> it, I, I no one no one ever wears a clean suit when when they travel from dimension to dimension they just bring whatever they want hither and thither and it's always bad Um, yeah, I do then... like this quote. <laughs> um, Go ahead. <laughs> I want to see if it's the same one. So, oh, okay. Uh, uh, I believe this is. I believe this is. Yes, this is the narrator in <clears throat> in all that darkness, which let me see with uh, within myself. These things squirmed. A wormy mass that was trying to make itself part of me. I must have brought them uh, here when I came to this place. After I took this shape, no, it, this is the, the host. Yeah. They, yeah, this is. Uh, they abandoned me and buried buried into the ground over there. They broke the, through the earth that same night, and I thought they would come after me, but somehow the situation has changed. I think they like being where they are now. You can see for yourself now how they twist about almost happily. Yes, and then I'm going the, to use. <laughs> so the host is like, "Let's go take a we can grab a lamp. We'll go take a better look at him. You can see them really well in the darkness." Yeah. yeah. If you want to see the true madness, uh, yeah, it's literally, literally it's... what he says. It's great. <laughs> I so here's the thing. Um I I was wondering at this point, which was is is once again, is is our narrator like like transmitting all of this to the the cabal like 
Yes, can, that's was my understanding. Can are, I'm just like, are they are they cool with this? I I'm I I think it's interesting that there are these two essentially supernatural forces that that are clashing with each other because once again they don't seem particularly antagonistic to one another just no they're just kind of like feeling out they're like sussing the situation and so the uh the narrator and the stranger go outside and oh man it's just gross i think yeah, definitely. So I I pulled a, when they get out there with the lamp, they're they're skimming the wet wet grass, and the, the host is like, "Look at them wriggling in the light." Uh, he said, "When the first rays fell on a convulsing tangle of shapes like the radiant entrails of hell, but the shapes quickly disappeared into the darkness and out of view, pulling themselves from the rain softened soil. They retreat from this light, and you can see how they return to their places when the light is withdrawn." Um. Yeah, these were corrupt waters whose current had congealed and diversified into creaturely forms, strung with sticky and pumping veins, hung with working mouths. But our narrators, move the light as close as you can to the garden. Yeah. And and then he, he <laughs> don't, don't, walks don't. in. Yes, don't lose the light or they will cover the ground I'm standing on. I can see them so well, the true madness. I have confronted it without fear. No, said the stranger, you are not prepared. Come back to the light before the candle blows out. And, and then the and then the, the and then the candle here. blows out. And yeah. and 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 our narrator gets the 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 bad end. Yes. And and then transfers it to to everyone else as a nightmare. Yes. So <laughs> the wind now carries my words to you, good people. I cannot be there to guide you, but you know now what must be done, both to this horrible house and to its garden that was brought into this world by one who doomed himself to wander other worlds. Please. One last stir to your sleep. I remember screaming to the stranger. They are drawing me into themselves. My eyes can see everything in the darkness. I am not who I am. Can you hear me? Can you hear my words? So this is like a um, a, a dream transmission. The other Cabal members have to be asleep um, to get this. It's like a, a, a lucid waking dream, but you're asleep. Yes. Yes. The psychic, psychic transmission of yes. of a really awful death in yes. your dream. In that your, yes. yeah, <laughs> that 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 feels that. I think that's the like the worst aspect of it is is having to wake up from essentially a nightmare and know that that it wasn't just your neurons firing off while you were asleep. It was you watching somebody that you know just cease to be but they're still they're still there because this has this has one of my favorite endings i think too the people of the town said not a word to one another but they knew where they were going and what they would do to free their fellow citizen my own self from this tragedy from his tragedy 
and though their eyes saw nothing but the wild destruction that lay ahead, buried like a forgotten dream, within each one of them was a perfect picture of other, other eyes and of the unspeakable shapes in which they were now embedded. But do not let your fires burn out while you go about your work. Do not let them take you, too, into their unearthly realm. Come, then, close my eyes. Murder the beings into which they have been drawn. Then shudder your minds as well as you can to the abyss that is home to the madness of things. Like, get this messed up. <laughs> yeah, actually, and you know what? Actually, that I, that just clarified that. Oh wait, no, the narrator's not dead. The narrator's <sighs> in like an awful like nightmare dimension that he is that they are bound to share with all of their <laughs> all of their friends the moment that they go to sleep. So. Congratulations, yes. I've doomed you all to eternal nightmares, unless hopefully you burning this house down and this garden down kills me. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, that's something. And considering they did it to themselves kind of on purpose. Like, I yes. don't think that they didn't intend that particular fate, but they were just so, like, caught up in, I gotta go look at the gross worms. And, yeah, that was not a good idea. This is uh this has been the most exciting uh horror <laughs> crossover since <laughs> Aliens versus Predator Requiem or Freddy versus Jason Stranger versus Psychic Homeowners Association. Yes. It's actually like <laughs> I would I would want to see more of that. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like it's a riff on, um, like, weird bits of, like, society. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, where you just, you just make, make these, um, weird faction, factions of society, like, magically empowered, like, agencies or individuals. Like, yeah, that, that hobo, like... Don't don't make him angry because the the oil barrel that he sleeps by will become will like roll up to your house and set it on fire. So we always just give him a nickel every single time. <laughs> and the HOA is um, uh, um omnipresent and omnipotent. They see and hear all within these gated community. Oh yes, but only for their own specific gated community and yes, every yes, other home. But but every homeowners association hates every single other homeowners association because they can't see what they're doing. Yep. Oh wow, this That's actually kind of has legs. <laughs> I think we could go on for a while, but I think we'll we'll call it here um, for this. Yes. Episode. All right, let's wrap this up with some a little bit of admin, uh, Leonard. Where can folks find you on the interwebs? People can find me online uh, uh, on Twitter at Dr. Faust is dead. And people can find me uh, on YouTube also by searching Dr. Faust is dead. Dave, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter as well at sentinot underscore plus, And you can also find the podcast itself. Should you need to contact us uh, as a group uh, at mon underscore D monster. The website has all of our back episodes. There are a few we have hit 
many hours. There's many hours of entertainment. I was going to pull up the exact number, but it's too late. Um, we're just going to wing it. Uh, and that is at monsterdeer.monster. We will see you next week for something else. We don't know, but on the docket now um, is uh, both Lord of Illusions and uh, In the Mouth of Madness. Yes. And now, I'm, uh, now I've hyped myself up for that, so... <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're doing. That's probably what Maybe. we'll be doing. We'll see. Maybe. Um, yes, Cameron isn't usually here, or isn't here for these uh, every other weeks, but um, if you need to contact him uh, for, for a dose of happiness, I guess, because he usually posts more upbeat things, uh, you can find him on Twitter at night underscore twitten, and that's night without a K. All of the links will be in the notes as usual. Uh, so that's just a little bit more convenient to find. All right, folks. We will talk at you next time. Bye-bye. Have a good one, everyone. And don't let the candle go out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>